a little, little different, but I'm going to obey the Lord. You know, Proverbs says in verse, or chapter 3, it says to honor the Lord with your substance. And giving Him honor with your substance. <clears throat> and with the first fruits of your increase. Years ago, the Lord spoke to me and said, you can't give, you can't give the first fruit second. And you can't give instant obedience late. So that's why I'm going to do what I saw. And, uh, you know, our name is Church of the Word International. Bob was there with me, so he can, he can testify that, well, I'm going to tell you the truth. We went, uh, I had given away, Terry and I had merged the church. We gave it away, and then we were leaving to go start a new church and a new ministry. And I didn't have a name for it. And uh, that bothered me. And, and Bob and I had the bright idea. Kenneth Hagin was speaking for three days in uh, Pittsburgh. So I don't know. We, we scraped our pennies together and we found a cheap motel. And we decided to fast for three days. I don't know if it's because we didn't have any money or because we were spiritual. It could have been a little bit of both. And uh, so we went down there and we would go to the meetings and take notes and, and focus on the Lord. Just like you're doing this week. And we're, we're receiving from, from Brother Hagin. And it was 1987. And um, I got a lot from Brother Hagin and zero from the Lord. Because I was asking him what to do. How, do you, how do you do it? I don't know how to do it. I was young and still pretty stupid. Uh, I mean, when you don't know, you don't know, but you want to obey, right? And... We got to the end, and Brother Hagin was done, and we have to check out of the hotel. And I really, I'd been fasting, asking God for direction on what to call the ministry, what to do, and I didn't have anything. So we had a little bit of time before we left the hotel, motel, not hotel, motel. And uh, so I said, why don't we just kneel, and we knelt by the bed and prayed in the Holy Ghost. I don't know, maybe half hour, maybe an hour. I don't know what it was. Could have been five minutes. I, I really don't remember. But we prayed. We we're getting ready to leave. Bags are packed. I got on my knees, and I was sort of just kind of closing myself up, you know, because we had a good time. And, and I hadn't heard from the Lord. I was actually a bit discouraged. And I really wasn't expecting Him to speak to me because I'd been waiting for so long. And that's when He spoke to me. And He said, call it. Church of the Word International. Because you always have to keep the world first. Now you got to understand something. At that time in 1987, I'd never preached outside of Pennsylvania. I never had one desire in any way whatsoever about missions. Zero. I was raised in the Methodist Church where the most profound thing missionaries say in the, in the Methodist Church is, next slide, please. <laughs> that was my view. And God says, call it Church of the Word International because you have to keep the word first, the world first. Well, I've learned since then, and I'll tell you this just for you to write it down and keep it in, in your mind. I've learned since then that if you keep the love of God and the Great Commission, 
and you keep all your doctrine between those two points, you, you won't go wrong. There's a reason He sent Jesus to die. There's a world. And He still loves the world. Well, that word international, you know, I mean, it's so big it won't even fit on a business card. I'm going to be honest. I didn't like the name in the beginning. I didn't. I had, I had thoughts of other cool names. So Bob and I got in the car. I think I shared that with him. I don't know if I did, but I think I shared it with him. We were driving, and he's driving. We're both in shorts and T-shirts. It's hot out. And we're driving up 79 from Pittsburgh towards Titusville. You correct me if I miss any of this. So he was there. And while we're driving, I'm just praying in the Holy Spirit, thinking about what he had said. And the Spirit of God filled the car again. Thank God for his presence. And the Spirit of God spoke. Now, I honestly thought he spoke audibly. Because I thought Bob heard it. But see, Bob and I get in sync. Sharon even said it tonight in the back room. You know, I know you and Bob are one spirit. We've, we've done enough praying. I can get in sync with him real fast. And I heard the Lord say, he spoke to me in the car. Bob's driving. The Lord said, get off at the next exit and look for a church. Just as loud as I said it to you, just matter of fact. And I thought he heard it. I mean, I'm so in the spirit. He comes up to the next exit and he ain't getting off. And I said, Bob, get off, get off. The Lord said, get off here. And he nearly wrecks us as we pull off the exit. I didn't know he couldn't hear from God. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. So I said to him, I said, Bob, the Lord spoke to me and said, get off at this exit and look for a church. And we would, I don't know how long it took us. Maybe you can tell me. Someday I'd love to hear it from your perspective, I guess. But we would come to a light or a stop sign. The Lord would say, turn right, turn left. And uh, we drove right up to this church. I mean, God took us right to it. Big church. I'm sure it could seat over a thousand. We, parking lot's empty. He pulls into the parking lot. He drives all the way around. And then he's like, he's going to leave. And I said, what are you doing? I said, park. The Lord said, look for a church. We're not just going to circle it and leave. <laughs> but there ain't nobody there. So, so we get out. And I walk up to the door. And they're not locked. So I go in. Ain't no lights on. So I go in deeper. We go into the sanctuary and you can just see by the lights of the exit signs and whatnot, you know. And there's nobody in there. And, and, and we walk into this huge auditorium. It's pitch dark. And somebody says, there's a voice. Yells at us. Oh, you just missed them. They went across the street to the hotel. I said, thank you. <laughs> so we went across the street to the hotel. And it was a big one, I think, like a Marriott or something. I don't remember what it was, but it was a nice hotel. It wasn't that little rinky-dink motel we came from. So here, here walks in two rednecks in shorts and t-shirts into a business hotel. And we walk into the lounge, 
And a guy in a suit and tie, real nicely dressed, walks right up to me, shakes, puts his hand out, shakes my hand, and he says, Praise God, I see you're here for the same reason I am. And I thought, good, because I don't know why I'm here. That's what I'm thinking. I know he's a Christian now, though. And when he did that, I mean, my hand, come here, Bob. I need you up here anyway. Is what I, is what I said true. And I, I took his hand, and he said that. This other fellow in the suit. Bob's right here beside me. He said, praise God, I see you're here for the same reason I am. And I said, praise the Lord. And when I did, the Spirit of God spoke to me. And he said, give him everything in your pocket. Now, honestly, most of the time you're safe. (laughs) Especially back then. But this time through some other things that happened in Pittsburgh, I had several hundred bucks in my pocket. Now, in 1987, that was a lot of money to me. So, this total stranger, I just reached in my pocket and pulled that wad of money out, and I said, Lord told me to give you this. And he gets all choked up. Here, he's a missionary. His name's Andrew Bush. He had gone through this whole process with the assemblies of God to go to Asia as a missionary gave away his church sacrificed all of these steps and then his wife got pregnant and his district superintendent said you can't go to the mission field you have too many children we have a policy and he was in Arizona and he fell before the Lord and the Lord said did I call you or did the assemblies of God He said, you did, Lord. And the Lord said, then go to Pittsburgh to this conference at this hotel and I'll take care of you. And he saw me walk in the door and the Lord said, there he is. That's the man. It's just a couple hundred bucks. No, it was God. Right? So Andrew, we eventually had him up to the church and preach and Andrew went to the Philippines, and I followed a couple years later and had my first missions trip. People have asked me, how'd you get on the mission field? I met this fellow in the lobby of a hotel, and I gave him some money. That's how I got there, isn't it? I mean, I tell that story, it's hard for me to believe, and I was the one there. (laughs) See, you can't give first fruit second, and you can't give instant obedience late. And what God did by taking me into the Philippines, I'd pay ten times that. I'd pay a thousand times that. Right? People have asked me, how'd you get to Russia? Well, I got a phone call. A fella, here, Bob, come over here. (laughs) Why don't you take that side, I'll take this side. Because you got a minister here in a minute. I got a phone call. And uh, now, now listen to me, because this isn't about me. This is about how the Spirit works with people. So that when He works with you, you'll know what He's doing, and you'll know how to respond, and you will have the courage to obey. 
See, because the only reason I had the courage to take the money out of my pocket is I'd heard crazy people that you never heard of called like Norval Hayes and Lester Sumrall and Kenneth Hagin. Right? But I watched them and heard them and listened to how the Spirit spoke to them. Then when the Spirit spoke to me, I had enough courage to do it. Right? So, so this, I was in, 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 Terry and I lived in Titusville, Pennsylvania, population 4,500. And I got a phone call. Hi, he says, my name's Dave Esla. I'm a missionary to Russia. And I thought, better you than me. <laughs> and uh, he said, we're just driving through your town and, and we have a mutual friend. I, I never have figured out how he got my number and who our mutual friend was. I never figured that out. God. Yeah, we have, a, we, we have the same father. Different mother, but same father. And... Uh, so Terry and I went to lunch with him and his wife, Nina, Dave and Nina Esla. Huh. You remember them, don't you? Yeah. Well, Dave uh, found out Terry and Dave went to Ramah the same year. So we had a real nice fellowship and dinner, lunch, you know. They really didn't even share much about what they were doing. They, actually, they had a, an outreach in uh, Minsk, Belarus. They were printing Brother Hagin's books. All of the books that were printed in the Soviet Union. Alex, did you ever read a Hagen book? It came out of men's, didn't it? Yeah, it came out of his ministry. Because this chubby old man obeyed God. What a, what a wonderful man. And uh, they shared about their ministry. And it was nice. They didn't say, help us or give us money. We were just having fellowship. And they said, well, we're preaching, you know, on Sunday in State College, and yet we don't have anything to do between, you know, Sunday to Sunday, so we were just driving like this, looking at the sites, and we saw on the map, Titusville had some museum, and so, you know, that's why we're here, and we took a hotel, we're over, oh, yeah, I know where you're staying, yeah, well, we're leaving in the morning, and we'll go over here, oh, okay, well, God bless you, and they left, and we left. We never noticed that they were walking, but the hotel wasn't that too far away. About two in the morning, uh, and this is a part of the miracle because I don't usually get up at two in the morning. <laughs> but two in the morning, I sat up in bed. Spirit of God, the room was full of God. And the Lord said, go down there and give them $700. Well, this would have been when was that, sweetheart? 1991, I think. Right around there. Yeah, 91, 92. And honestly, 700 bucks back then was still a lot of money for us. And uh, so I woke Terry up, you know, which was unusual. She's, well, Proverbs has a chapter about her. <laughs> and, uh, well, in my, my Bible, it's about her. I don't know about you better not be about her in your Bible. <laughs> to think about that for a minute. Bob, show me your Bible. <laughs> so anyhow, I, I, she gets up in the morning. I'm talking like early, like six, you know, and I'm thinking we got to get down there because they're going to leave. This is before cell phones, right? I mean, we got to get over there before they leave because I don't know how to get the money to them. 
So we get to $700, we run over to the hotel, and I knock on the door, and uh, well, they ain't really up. We can figure that out pretty quick. So, okay, well, at least we're going to give them the money. And they open the door, you know, and he's looking through the crack at me. You can tell he's probably in his skivvies. And he looks through the, the crack at me, and he said, yeah, well, Pastor, you know, what, what is it? I said, the Lord woke me up and told me to give you this $700. And I just slid the envelope through the crack. Whew, the door comes wide open. He's in his skivvies. He's jumping up and down. And his wife's in her house coat. She's jumping up and down on the bed. They got 700 bucks. And I'm thinking, we hit the jackpot. Glory to God. Right? And, and, and so then they tell it from their side. That they'd come through Titusville like they said. But what they didn't tell us is their car broke down. And they didn't have any money to fix it. And they got it to the garage. And it was just under $700. So they were excited. Why? Because they followed George Mueller's principles and they didn't tell anybody. They told the Father. And, and God answered. And I, they're excited because they prayed in faith and God answered. Well, I was excited because I heard from God. Right? Some people say, how did you get into Russia? Right there. I put $700 through a hole. See, you, you can't give first fruits second. And you can't give instant obedience late. And for all of what the Lord has done throughout all the former Soviet, that $700 is pretty piddly, pretty small, insignificant. <laughs> insignificant. But that's how I got to Russia, because about a year later, when he wanted to invite someone he trusted to a conference in Minsk, he, he faxed me, said, hey, would you come? Well, of course I'll come. Instant obedience. You want the supernatural in your life? You better get a hold of instant obedience. If Jesus says come, you better come. Instant obedience. Well, I was in the back room with Sharon and Bob. And we were talking about some of these things. That we're not novices at this. And while Sharon was talking, the Spirit of God came on me. And like a flash, I saw... All of what I just told you, just in a, a few seconds. And the Lord, almost like He was giggly, asked me if <laughs> I'd like to do it again. <laughs> yeah. I said, yeah, Lord, I'd like to do it again. So then I saw where we're at right now. I want to give tonight's offering. Oh, don't. Just like I put that money in that fellow's hands. Just like I slipped that envelope through the door. I want to open the Middle East up wide open. So I want to give tonight's offering to the Mirabellas. 
And I want to put it in your hands. And I ain't buying nothing. I'm giving instant obedience and first fruits for miracles. And it's going to cause a whole lot of ruckus in the spirit. So, Steve and Jonah, I'd like you to come up here right now. And your kids too. They work harder than you do and they sacrifice more than you do. This is cool. Now, this conference, we got a whole bunch of expenses, and right now we're not thinking about that. What we're thinking about is obeying the Lord. So that means if, if you got some in your pocket, that's what the Lord tells you to give, then that's what you give. You don't give it because I gave it. You don't give it because I told you to give it. You give it because the Lord tells you to give it. And that's on you. That's your walk with Jesus. Some of you pastors need to look at what the church that your pastor has to give and dig into there too if the Spirit of God tells you. Amen? But I just, I just am laying that out. Hallelujah. So I guess we need to do it in a business fashion at some point. So make your checks to Armada. And we'll, we'll take this entire offering and we'll get it into their hands one way or another. They've got challenges, sure. <clears throat> Honey, whatever the Lord lays on you, I'm with you in it. And probably add a little bit. Well, that's what I figured. <laughs> wonder, I don't know, you know, how many times have you given it all? We've done it quite a few. It's fun. Glory to God. So I'm going to read a scripture to you guys as a family that God's ministered to me on. Then I'm going to ask Bob to minister to you prophetically. And what I'd like to do is while I'm reading this scripture and while Bob's ministering, um, Paul, if we could just put the offering baskets at their feet, I'd like you all to come up as you feel led you can come up like a mass you can come up orderly it's up to you but uh, I don't feel in a situation like this that I want to pass the bucket I got to shake their hand and put their money in it I, I got to put the money through the door uh, you know you're going to do this in your faith let's put it at their feet you know and uh, we'll gather it all up Paul will gather it all up in the end but maybe we ought to move this how's that and uh now, I'm going to also say this, because we probably got other missionaries in here and other people with a heart for missions. Ain't no time for jealousy. Oh, how come God don't never do that to me? Well, one reason is because you didn't empty your pocket and put it in, in theirs. <laughs> don't, don't worry about yourself. Get out of yourself. Amen? And uh, we're going to see something happen in the Middle East. It's really not about the Mirabellas. My, my gift took me to Russia. My gift took me to the Philippines. It's not about them. It's about the Middle East. Peter said to Jesus, We have left all and followed you. 
See, you're not the only ones that's made sacrifices. Now, how come you got to grow up in this country? Well, sacrifices are a part of God's process of opening up our spirit. Jesus said to Peter about sacrifice. There is no man that has left a house, his brother and his sisters, his father, his mother, his wife or his children or his lands for my sake and the gospels. Boy, it's hard to take, isn't it? It makes you want to just break down and cry. It's okay. God wants to give you a hundredfold now in this time. A hundredfold. A hundredfold. With persecution. That's what it says. See, you thought killing a bear would be fun, but then there's a lion. You thought that would be fun, but then there's a giant. You, you, you thought this, this is great, this is nothing. Community center is not going to win Iraq. It is, it is fun, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Now, some of you downstairs, I saw you go and get in line twice. So you might want to get in line twice here, too. Uh, yeah, I thought, I thought that was pretty good, actually. I don't think I ever said that before. <laughs> But I was paying attention. I saw some of you in line twice. Maybe you ought to get in line twice here. Honey, you got anything else in there? Check. Brother Hagen used to get, make us check for the, the, the coins. I might have a couple coins. You, got any, you ain't got any change hanging down in there? No, I don't have any change. Here you go. Here, there you go. There's some. She's got some. There we go. No, this is my first time. I'll check Debbie's purse next. <laughs> it's the principle. It's not the amount, is it? It's not the amount. It's 700 piddly dollars. And I became a missionary. I didn't even want to. <laughs> you in line twice? Yeah. I guess we ain't got no blessing hogs. We got lasagna hogs, but no blessing hogs. You were there. Well, you're here too. Get busy. Get up here, Sid. Spirit of God's on you too. You got you, you let, let him minister first. <laughs> now every pastor, everybody's pastor in a church. I need you to get up here, Jay. Yeah. If you're pastor in a church, come on up here. There's something about that. Let's just gather around this family here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Where's Brian, there he is. 
He had to get a check. Was was he in line twice downstairs? Uh, he, he was in line twice. He's, so. he's, he had to go out to the car. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> no, I'm going to pray first. I don't need that. Thank you, Jesus. I want in on the harvest of souls. Lord, we just give this first fruit and this instant obedience to you because it's bigger than we are and it's impossible and we know it's impossible. So now that that's settled and out of the way, uh, what are you going to do about it? Because it's bigger than us, but you're bigger than any problem I've ever seen, Lord. So I'm asking for anything that you put in me to put in them, Lord. Anything that's missing in them, put it in them. And anything that ought not be in them, Lord, take it out. And purify these vessels so that they're a vessel of honor unto you and that you can work through them perfectly and flow through them perfectly. And, and Lord, souls, I'll ask you one more time. Give me souls. Give me souls, Lord. In Jesus' name, I bless you for it, Father. I bless you for it, Lord. As the assignments switch and change, as things become new and clear, as the apostolic anointing that I placed upon your lives increases, and it will very quickly, the miracles that you're going to experience are going to bring you to your knees. The things that you're going to see with your eyes and have to understand with your mind are going to make you set and cry. There are things that you're going to see and experience as lives come to me, as multitudes are changed even before your eyes, as doors open up that you've only dreamed of as of yet as my favor upon your lives will increase day to day, year to year. For there's an open door that I've set before you, and as you walk in willingness and obedience, you'll understand what it's like to eat the good of the land. You'll see the increase come, but I want you to be wise. I want you to deal wisely with that which I place in your hand. For I have much more in store than what you have experienced to this time. And know and understand that I am a wise steward and I expect the same out of you. But I will bring a flow. I will bring it from the north, the south, the east, and the west. For I'll connect you to my people who will humble themselves before me and seek my face for they're the ones that I will speak to directly. They, some will lift you up and they will pray. Amounts will be given to them. Yes, amounts will be given to them because there's much that will need resurrected and raised up 
in the season in which you'll walk in. Know and understand the vision of the past is way too small for that which I'm going to place in your heart even tonight. The increase in the ability for you to see clearly, for you to understand properly, but for you to obey that anointing because of the apostolic call upon this household in which you represent, sir. Know and understand as you communicate with your children, with your wife, but mostly with me. As you communicate, I will bring the level of your understanding even higher than what you've seen or understood before. The increase of the revelation in which you've walked in shall increase largely. It will come to you in waves, and there will be times you will not be able to get off your knees. There will be times that you won't even be able to stand. For my glory shall visit you in waves. It will overwhelm you, but know and understand that this day it's up to you to place your hands upon these that are with you. Understand that they are with you, and they will protect you in ways that you don't understand even as of yet. For there's angels that have been assigned over each one. And know and understand that my angels will cooperate with my plan and with my will and with my way. And they will work together and they will cooperate together because of your willingness and your obedience, but basically your faith. As your faith and your trust is in me solely, as you don't look at the hands of man, I will bring the increase to the measure in which will overwhelm you as it comes forth. So I call it in, in the name of Jesus Christ, over this household, over this apostolic ministry. I call in every bit of resource. I break the plans of the devil over your minds, over your hearts, over your lives, over your health, over your wealth, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, every weapon that has been formed against you in the past is broken this night, in the name of Jesus Christ. Every word curse that has come upon you, I break its power and its plan over your life, in the name of Jesus. The witchcraft that has tried to raise up and manipulate and control and pull you out of the way, even the confusion in which you've dealt with at times, it's broken this day in the name of Jesus Christ. The blood of my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will cover you. It'll cover you. It'll cover you. It'll cover you. It'll cover you. And that blood will be enough for you to overcome. For you will overcome by, by the word of your testimony, by the blood of the Lamb, because I know in my heart of hearts, saith the Lord, I know that you've already dedicated your life and you do not fear death. So understand today, I've risen you up to a new level, a new anointing, a new vision, a new purpose, but an extreme place of knowing and understanding that you're underneath my hand and I am well pleased with each and every one of you, saith the Spirit of Grace. I want to give confirmation to what he said. You know, I know that you know what it's like to come through seasons. There were seasons of plowing and breaking up the ground. There were seasons of planting. And there were seasons of harvesting. And the Lord just showed me that there's still seasons in front of you, that you'll experience the different seasons. But right now, the harvest that's in front of you is a lot bigger than you've imagined. And that this is what I heard him say, dream bigger. The bigger vision, bigger than what you've imagined already, and it's coming.
Lord would say, don't limit me. As I've done something this night, you thought not of. It was not a thought in your mind, but I did it. Because you're following after my will, my purpose and plan for your life. I will provide. Don't allow yourself to reason, how shall this be? But just proceed along in faith and love. And I'll do things beyond what you would think. For you would always, in your own thoughts, have a ceiling and a limitation. But as you just trust me and stay committed, I'll do things beyond what you would ever think of. My field's electrical. As the generator turns, there's no contact between the parts. But as the windings pass through the field, through the power, voltage is generated. But the amount of power that's used is proportional to the resistance that it faces. The bigger the resistance, the more the power. The bigger the resistance, the more the power. The bigger the resistance, the more the power. We don't need to be intimidated by the resistance. We just need to amp up the power. It's no accident that God has put you on the front lines of a region that is critical to the end times. And as you guys are faithful to his word, I want you to realize that even when he sends you into the darkest of places, you already know that he's with you, but you're not alone because we are with you too. And church, I expect us to intercede for this family, not just this night alone, but ask God to open up your heart that when they're facing the greatest resistance, that you know you have brothers and sisters back here that are lifting you up in prayer, and we can rejoice because the battle's already been won. He sent you to the front lines of some of the darkest areas to bring those people to the light because he's that good of a God. So the Lord brought to remembrance, um, I think I might have learned it in the third grade, but the area that you uh, are in was called the Fertile Crescent, right? And I believe that stands for two things. We couldn't plant in better soil than what you are and your hearts are. Number one. Number two, that is still one of the most fertile places on this earth in the natural. But it now is also in the spiritual because of the souls that will come into the kingdom. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask this gentleman here if he would just touch you because uh, the Lord's going to use him as an intercessor on your behalf. I just, uh, I know what I've seen, and I, I've seen that this man would stand in the presence of the Lord on your behalf. and multitudes of occasions but I believe there's something about the touch and 
Neil, if you've got a word to you go for it. I just well, praise the Lord. Um, you know, the Lord sent me to Afghanistan, and uh, I was there. Went for committed for four months, almost seven years, with my family here, traveling back and forth. So it's kind of that same region, and uh, yeah, there's a need for intercession in there. So um, let me let me pray and. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you give. Lord, we in ourselves have limited ability and power. And if we do things in our own power only, that's pride. But Lord, you give grace and more grace. Lord, it says grace and truth came by Christ Jesus. So Lord, we release grace upon this family now, Father. Lord, all types of grace. Father, grace of wisdom. Lord, grace of boldness. Lord, grace of spiritual gifts. Lord, financial grace, even as we've seen tonight. Lord, grace from heaven. Lord, that will invade Lord, warnings, sensitivity to the Spirit. Father, the gifts of the Spirit being in manifestation. Father, to bring uh, undeniable proofs that you are alive and that heaven desires to bless earth. So, Lord, let your love abound within this family. Lord, even as our, our motto is that one way we love God is by loving one another. And Lord, so in this landmark meeting, let your love be a landmark in their lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, just one more thing here, and uh, I think we'll be done. Uh, and I want to say it publicly so the pastors will hear, because it's how I want them to act with all their missionaries. And I know uh, it's important, all right? And uh, I'm not giving this money to your ministry. I'm giving it to you. And I'd really like you to treat your family Because if, if he ain't big enough to pay the bills, well, he just ain't big, but he is. So I want, I have a, uh, I like knives. I'm not being weird right now. <laughs> you know, and this is a really good one. And uh, so I, you, I just want to give you this as a gift. And, uh, but that doesn't mean I had two pieces of lasagna. I, I only had one. <laughs> All right. So, so what I always used to do is make sure the missionary had mine, take his wife out for dinner, mm -hmm. buy her a new dress. <laughs> she probably don't like dresses. I don't know. But you got some money here. So what I think, you know, 
whatever you determine, though, you know, put a pretty necklace on your daughters, you know, buy your son something. So five years from now, ten years from now, you know, I have a briefcase. I keep it in my office. I don't even use it anymore. But it came from a pastor in Sweden. You know, he said, you, you ministered to my people. We want you to remember us. So every time I grab that briefcase, I think of that church where this little girl was healed. All those memories, you know, right there in that little leather briefcase. So you use this and you bless these kids and the ones that even aren't here. Make them jealous for not being here. All right? And everything's going to be okay. It's all going to be all right. It's going to be fine. You're going to be better for it. Growing up strange and weird in a different country. You're going to be much better for it. It's the truth. You'll stand apart. You, your parents are heroes. Right? 11 years old. Well, you're going to be tall. Amen. Well, we'll we'll get this to you, and uh, we love you. <laughs> yeah. Amen. It's all God. Hallelujah. Amen. Go sit down. Be blessed. I don't know what we're going to do with all this money, Paul. We're going to put it in the safe. All right. Glory to God. Boy, I don't know how they got out of here without being anointed. They are lucky. They are lucky. <laughs> no, the week's just getting started. I need a second here. What happens when you get older is that muscles in your face quit working and you, 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 you cry real easy. <laughs> Amen. Now the offering's over. Can we start the sermon? I like that. He just did it again. Now, tonight's been a complete waste of time if you didn't catch that. Instant obedience. First fruits. How did God open the door to get you here? How did God open the door to get you there? You respond. Well, you did tonight. You did tonight. Amen? And who knows, you'll be sharing someday. How would you get on the mission field? Oh, I got suckered into giving in this offering. <laughs> and I blessed what God was doing in the Middle East. And then... I went to school and met this Muslim kid and led him to Jesus. Or like Dr. Is it Dr. Paul who stopped to change the tire of some girl on the side of the road in Atlanta? Brian Wills, Dr. Charles, Ron Charles. Rainy night driving on the interstate and Atlanta, Georgia, and there's a young girl with a blowed out tire, so he stopped to change her tire. I told this story in Colorado, didn't I? 
helped a girl change her tire. She went on her way. She, he had given her his number. He got a phone call from the embassy of Egypt. Her dad was the ambassador or something like that. I forget what it was. Opened all the whole country. Opened up so he could go in there and start churches. Changing a tire. That's not very hard, is it? Well, I got a few scriptures to read at least before I send you home. Let's go to uh, Mark's Gospel. Chapter 3. I wanted... I knew in my spirit what the Lord wanted to do was renew the vision of who we are as Church of the Word International. I didn't plan on this offering. Uh, You guys didn't know that was going to happen, did you? Caught you by surprise? It got me by surprise too. We just let the Lord do those kinds of things. Amen? But that's who we are. That's who we are. It's in our DNA. And uh, so I started praying about what to share about our DNA and who we are. And, and God just kept actually taking me back further and further. You see, there's so many of the supernatural things. But even supernatural things have natural foundations. And sometimes you can't really be fruitful or productive in supernatural things if you lack that foundation and I'm going to give you a quick example I'll read two scriptures look here in Mark chapter 3 verse 14 and in Luke's gospel we won't take the time to look at it we'll do it later maybe tomorrow night or the night the next Jesus prays all night long now I don't know maybe you've never prayed all night long he didn't pray all night long in unbelief or desperation he prayed all night long to make sure he didn't make the wrong choice because he had to make a choice he had a lot of people following him more than 82 because we know there was a group that was 70 and he picked 12 so he had at least 82 probably more than that right but there were at least 70 people he didn't pick and so he, you know, it wasn't like, this is all I got. No, he picked 12 out of a larger group. And he prayed all night long. And then he came down, verse 14, and he ordained 12. He ordained them what? That they should be with him. That's all I want to read. The rest is all good. He says, you know, because he wants to send them forward. He wanted to help teach them how to preach and send them out to cast devils out of people and heal the sick, raise the dead, do all the supernatural. But all the supernatural was, was prefaced first by a foundation of being with Him. And now let's go to Matthew 28. Pastor Bill brought this up. Actually, three scriptures, not, not, not two. Matthew 28 tells us in verse 18, Jesus... The last thing he said on earth that we know of. He came and he spake to them and he said, All power, 
literally authority, is given to me in heaven and in earth. He's got it all. See, the devil has no authority. None. He's a trespasser. He's not allowed in your house. Right? Well, he's not allowed in your mind either. And so Jesus said, I've got all this authority, now you go therefore. Why do we go? Because we're, we're going under his authority. I'm not going in my name, I'm going in his name. And he said, go and, now the King James says, teach all nations. Well, that would include the Middle East, that would include Ukraine, that would include Guatemala, Honduras, that would include India, Sri Lanka, all nations, yeah. Right? But what are we supposed to do when we get there? Not evangelize. It didn't say go into all the world and evangelize. Make disciples. See, because make disciples requires evangelism. You've got to get them saved, right? It requires teaching. You've you got to instruct them. But it's really a, a, a compilation of all of it, isn't it? Making disciples takes time. And it really what it takes is life. There's no curriculum. Jesus didn't say, come and follow me and, and we'll go through this seven-step plan. Somebody said, well, are you mocking that? Yeah, I am. Now, it'll help a lot of people, all right? But, but it's, it's not discipleship. Now, you could use it when you're discipling someone, but understand that that's what it is. It's just a tool. The reality is the life. Sitting, sitting with Jesus around the fire and getting to ask him, well, how come we couldn't cast that devil out? That's, that's relationship and fellowship, right? Making disciples is, is the priority. No matter what facet of ministry you're in, I don't care if you're a missionary, a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist, you've come underneath the, the claims of the Great Commission, which is to reproduce yourself. And if you don't, well, number one, it's a sign of immaturity, because in all of the kingdom, and all of nature, and all of biology, the first sign of maturity is the ability to reproduce. That's a sign of maturity. And you, my friends, were born to reproduce. I mean, the world has been blessed and the devil is terrified with one Bob Hawk. But we need more. Amen? You are born to reproduce. Somebody said, well, I'm afraid to evangelize. I'm afraid to, to do this. I'm afraid to do that. Well, there's something about discipleship that will take the fear out. Just like... It'll take the fear out of a woman when a grizzly bear attacks her kids. I saw, I saw it on some video, I think it was in Russia, where some bear jumped up on a wall and went after this girl's dogs. And she loves her dogs, so she went and pushed the bear over. I thought, she's nuts. Now, if it was kids and children, I'd understand. But dogs? Anyhow, we won't go there. But see, when you love someone, and that grizzly comes after your kids, you're going to fight that grizzly. It, it, you're not going to say, well, you know, I'm not called to that. 
Right? Why? Because you love them. Somebody said, well, I, I, just, I just don't like to evangelize. It's because you don't love that person you're evangelizing. It isn't about you at all. It's not about fear. It's not about evangelism. It's not about you don't know how. It's not about you didn't memorize the scripture. It's about the fact that you're looking in the face of somebody and you don't love them. Let's just be honest. But when you do love them, you'll stay up all night to find the answers to their question. And they can't break that drug habit. And you'll be right there on your knees beside them. Right? Well, see, that's what discipleship does. Uh, I I, I read early on in my ministry uh, an interchange between Billy Graham and Paul Yonji Cho. And uh, uh, I'm getting this wrong because I don't know if it was Cho that asked Billy Graham or Billy Graham that asked Cho. But one of them asked the other, what's your advice to help a believer mature the fastest? And the the response was, disciple somebody. Because as soon as a young couple has a baby, you know, that pimply-faced teenager grows up. He learns responsibility. He goes and gets himself a job. Why? Because when you're caring for someone else, it matures you. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Now, I'm not here to condemn you, but it's easy to condemn along this line. I learned years and years ago, if you want to condemn Christians and make them feel guilty, ask them about their prayer life. The other thing is ask them about discipleship. Have you ever discipled someone? Have you ever yet reproduced yourself? Because there's somebody that needs what you've got. Somebody said, well, I'm not that old in the Lord. Well, you're older than somebody. If you're 10 minutes old in the Lord, you're five minutes older than the guy that just got saved. Amen. No, there's, there's something about committing to his command to make disciples that will mature you and bring you to the next step. Now let's go over to Acts. And look here in uh, chapter 4. These fishermen, they didn't amount to much in the natural. All all of a sudden they were transformed and they're defying the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders, right? And they're standing and and they bring them in, they get captured and they're standing in front of the Sanhedrin. All these educated fellows... And for years, this is just me, now maybe you didn't make this mistake, but for years, I always saw that transformation because they got filled with the Holy Ghost. And I was meditating on this last week, and I saw it in a a light I'd never seen before. Now, thank God for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and it does transform you. But the Lord showed me the emphasis that I had not seen before. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Son, you can never overestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. Because he does transform lives. He said, but you have underestimated the power of discipleship. See, it's true that Peter got filled with the Holy Ghost. but, But why did he get filled with the Holy Ghost? Because Jesus discipled him up to that point and instructed him. 
And isn't that a part of discipleship? Then he said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Right? So if it's, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Some of you are going to get that. I, think, I know Sidney's got it. If God told Dale that, then it goes for me too. And, I'm, and he's just hogged it. Which he ought to. Because Deuteronomy says it. What's been revealed to our fathers belongs to us and to our generation and to our children. I mean, I, I listened to Brother Hagin and I heard things that God said to Brother Hagin. I said, that's mine. I'm taking that. And it is mine. Well, it's yours too if you want it. Right? But look here in Acts 4. Peter, he's talking and he got filled with the Holy Ghost. And he says, neither is there salvation, verse 12, in any other name. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness, say boldness. Of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. That's Hebrew for redneck. If you look in the footnote, margin of my Bible says they were from West Virginia. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. They were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now Jesus said, the disciple's not above his master. It's sufficient for the disciple that he be as his master. I think it's Luke that says he's perfected when he is as his master. See, the point is, and Jesus was saying that, he was reproducing himself in the disciples to be as his master. And if they called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call his disciples that? And this is what's taking place. Jesus multiplied himself, yes, by distributions of the Holy Spirit. You can never overestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus went to heaven, he shed forth the power of the Holy Ghost. And thank God we're all filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking with other tongues. And if you're not, you ought to be. Amen. Amen. But don't also, don't, don't underestimate the power of discipleship. Yes, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. But even in that baptism of the spirit and that endowment of power those Jewish leaders saw something in these men that they were disciples of Jesus there's something about discipleship that brings transformation and stability and foundation that allows us to walk in the supernatural and so when I began to pray about the renewing of our vision and, and remembering who we are and what's in our DNA. I just, you know how you, you peel an onion, you just layer by layer, you get down to the, be, the, the bedrock. And I, I really believe, because it's what Bob and I stumbled around in early on. It's that principle of discipleship where iron sharpens iron and so the countenance of a friend sharpens the countenance of another. And And... And there's power that's produced in that. You see, I was privileged uh, at a young age. I was uh, 16. 
I was living in sin and uh, really got messed up. And I had two things going for me. I had a mother that was praying for me. And if your mother's praying for you, you just might as well give up. That's one thing. The second thing I had was a, a guy in our church. I, we, we, we went to a Methodist church. And there was a fellow there. His name is Rex Phillips. And Rex was about, I was 16. Rex was about 23 or 24. Somewhere in there. And he got a hold of God. And he started to read some material about discipleship. Now, I didn't go to youth group. I didn't have any time for it. I think he taught in youth group. But God began to burden him with making a commitment to disciple someone and reproduce himself. To intentionally choose to invest his time into someone else's life and to help them reach certain levels of stability, which we'll talk about. So he started to pray. And he, he began to pray because it's the first step that we have to follow after Jesus. Jesus prayed all night. If Jesus had to pray all night to choose his disciples, you're probably going to have to do more than that. S selection process is important. You don't just look at a woman and say, I'm going to marry that one and get married the next day. There's a process. Right? And then you're going to reproduce. Right? Well, in discipleship, you don't want to waste a year of your life in someone that's going to backslide. Someone that's not going to respect what you invest in them. Now, even out of the 12 Jesus chose, one of them was a devil. Well, if Jesus, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I think Judas had the chance, but he rejected it. Right? But I don't want to spend three years of my life sowing into somebody and then it come to fruitlessness. I want to reproduce myself in someone who's going to take it further. Right? Well, Rex started to pray. Lord, give me a man. Who is it? Now, now here and watch this too because Rex prayed, Lord, give me a man. Maybe you shouldn't have to say this, but you do. Don't you, you know, men, you don't disciple women. Girls, you ain't going to go disciple boys. No, you know, and if you don't know what you are, you ain't discipling nobody. <laughs> yeah. So he started praying, Lord, give me a man. And this is interesting to me because, you know, you got to understand, I'm 16. I'm living in sin and I'm coming through some things. I'm at the point of suicide, came to the place where I put a gun in my mouth twice and stroked the trigger, not sure why I didn't pull it, depressed, dark. And uh, I had a couple encounters with God and I started to cry out to God. And I even went hunting with my uncle. My parents sent me away trying to get me some help. My uncle and my granddad, maybe they can help him. That's what country folks do, you know. Grandpa's usually the psychologist. 
And uh, so I actually thought about killing myself on that trip. And I found my way on the edge of a mountain, and I was going to jump. And I cried out to God. I said, if you're real, you know, you better say something now. And God spoke to me. I heard the voice of God. Wasn't anything profound, but God spoke to me and said, come down from there. And I mean, it rattled me to the core. Because now I know there is a God. And I walked down that mountain, and halfway down that mountain, I mean, I gave my life to the Lord. And he... uh, told me what I was called to do and I didn't know what that was. I didn't have enough biblical knowledge to even understand what he told me. And uh, so all this is going on, but this is how sad it is. I didn't relate any of that to Sunday morning. The church was so dry and dead. I didn't listen to the preacher. This was something different. So I'd go to church, but that's not where I had time with God. And I was really mixed up. But Rex was praying during the same period of time. See, I didn't know that. Isn't it good to know God's got people on assignment over your life and you don't even know about it? And you think you're blessed because you're some slick one? Half you men are blessed because you're wives and you ought to admit it. Man, the women don't know when to shout. I had, I had 40 years and I've never been able to get them to shout at the right time. It's incredible. But anyhow, Rex is praying, God, give me a man. And the Lord would whisper to his heart. And this is what's amazing to me. He wasn't spirit-filled. He didn't even believe in being led by the Holy Ghost like we do. And if you raised your hand in the church, he'd think you need to know where the restroom is. Right? And we're not talking about a spirit-filled man. But God spoke to him and said, Dale Armstrong. And he said... Get thee behind me, devil. That's not God. He's not interested in God. He's a troublemaker. He's just a fighter. He's, he's, he's obstinate. He's stubborn. He's whatever. I don't know what they thought of me. I know it wasn't good. You wouldn't have liked me. I didn't like me. Right? We all know that. Probably you were an ugly cuss before you got saved too. Boy, I thought I'd hear an amen of that at least. Maybe. I'm sure Sid was. Wasn't Sid? Yeah, I'm sure he was. So he prayed again. And the Lord told him, Dale Armstrong. So he he was real nervous, but he he got himself together. And one day I was at, at the house. And there was a knock on the door. I was the only one home. And I walk out and there, here's this, you know, I'm 16. Here's this adult from the church. It's the only where I knew him from. The only place I knew him from. Rex Phillips. I mean, I knew who he was. And I opened the door and I said, I'm sorry, my parents aren't home. And he said, I didn't come to see them. I came to see you. Could we talk? Now I'm terrified. <laughs> uh, okay. So we went back in my back bedroom and. I sat on the edge of my bed, and he pulled a chair up, made me uncomfortable. He got real close, knee to knee. And then he pulls out a little booklet. He said, I just felt like God wanted me to challenge you. I said, huh? He said, Cause he, and now later I found out because he's too scared. He said, would you just read this? And he gave me this little pamphlet written by Dawson Trotman. 
born to reproduce. So I sit there and actually I think he read it out loud to me. That's what happened. Yeah, he read it to me. And he got all the way to the end and he said, does that mean anything to you? I said, well, I guess. He said, are you interested? Yeah. Because it had struck a chord in me. He said, well, is there any reason we can't get on our knees right now and pray and commit to this? I said, commit to what? Well, I want to disciple you. Well, what's that mean? Well, I'll just be available to you. Why don't you come over to the house? That you, I, I see your car. You drive by my house every day on the way to school. I said, yeah. He said, why don't you just come on in and we'll sit and read the Bible together. Well, I just started reading the Bible. He didn't know that. He didn't know like maybe a week, maybe two weeks before that, I was on a cliff ready to kill myself. He didn't have any idea. I said, well, yeah, okay. He wasn't a super spiritual person. He just wanted to obey God and he wanted to love somebody. And he wanted to reproduce himself. Because he knew something I didn't know. So I remember I, I was really scared. I, I went up to his door the first time. You know, I drove to school. And so I drove and stopped at his house. And I walked up. And his wife was still in bed sleeping. I don't know. I think I went to his house at 6.30 every morning. And I walked in there and he had coffee ready. I didn't drink coffee. I tried it. It was horrible. It was dishwater. It was Bob that taught me how to drink real coffee. Because with Bob, it had to have been on the, the burner at the, at the little grocery store for at least. It ain't coffee if it ain't been there 24 hours. Got that good burnt taste long before Starbucks. Anyhow. So listen, this isn't, this isn't really hard to do, is it? He just invited me. See, I know I didn't know he was following some other principles. He wasn't chasing me. He, he laid it out. And if, if, if I was to respond, well, then I'd get something out of it. But it had to be on me. I learned, I learned that later. That, you, you know, Jesus didn't chase his disciples. He didn't chase the rich young ruler. I ain't going to chase you. I think half of the church advertising is chasing idiots. If you're that stupid and you don't know where the food is, amen. But you get a room full of hungry people, you don't get a room full of people that have been filled with hoopla. Hoopla. No, you get people that are serious after God. And, and so I walked up, sat down at his table. I had no idea what we were going to do. He, and he says, why don't we just read a little bit of scripture? So he'd have me read or he'd read. Well, I'm just reading. I'm just getting to know the Bible as it is. So it's all new to me. I don't even honestly, now looking back 40 years later, I think we probably started in maybe John, something like that. And, and he'd just talk about it. And then I remember he started asking me questions. Now, when you sin, what do you do? Do you know how to ask the Lord to forgive you? 
Hadn't thought about that. Am I supposed to? Well, if you don't know, you don't know. So he took me to, I remember it well. He took me to 1 John 1, 9, and he says, now read this. So I'd read it. He said, see, that's the Lord's love for you, that when you sin, you can pray immediately. Don't wait. Don't wait. He said, just, you, you just pray it, and you say, Lord, I'm confessing my sin. Now forgive me, and I thank you, Lord, because you're, you're righteous, which means it's the right thing to do, and, and you're just, and you're going to forgive me of all my unrighteousness. And he taught me how to pray once I, as a believer once I've sinned. Now, isn't that important? If you don't know that and you go for a little while living in sin and you don't repent of it, what's going to happen to you as a believer? You're not going to grow. And then he took me on from, from there to how to have a daily quiet time. How to read your Bible every day and take a few notes so that you remember what you've read. And, 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 to, and to begin to study. And how to meditate the, the Word of God. Do you know what meditation is? I didn't know what meditation was. And he would search the Scriptures. He taught me how to use the center column reference, you know. You know, some people, I meet them, they don't know what those little numbers are in the center of the Bible. You don't know if someone doesn't help you find out. But then once, see now, to me it was exciting because I was part nerd. I was. One of the most exciting days in my life was when a woman in a library taught me how to use all the cards. I'm telling you what. I mean, this is before computers. Do you all remember the little card file in the library? The card catalog, yeah. I mean, I flipped out the whole knowledge of the whole world right there in front of me in a box. I mean, if I could have carted it out to my car, I would have. I love the library. Now I carry it in my pocket. I got the whole Princeton Theological Seminary scanned in my phone. That's amazing. But I didn't know how to read the center column references. Someone had to tell me. And they unlocked all these verses. Still today. Maybe it's because he discipled me. That's the first thing I do. You know, Bill, he's a, he's a nerd. And he just pokes on those Greek and Hebrew. I look at the cross-references. I got one program. It's, it's, it's the first one I go to. And it's about this thick as a book. But it's on my phone. It's all the cross-references. All of them. You can open up one verse and there's about 40 verses to look at. And I just look at all these different... I love that. Well, it's because he taught me. He didn't waste time teaching me the Thompson chain. <laughs> See, he, he, he brought me into a new level. Now, is that hard to do? No, it's not hard to do. What's it take? Time. Loving somebody. That's all. See, Jesus chose these men and said, Hey, guys, you can be with me. If you want. Come and follow me. And I'll invest in you, and I'll make you fishers of men. But today what we usually say is, come and follow me, and I'll let you carry my briefcase. And I'll let you help me become great. No. I want to, you know what, this is a great, I mean, Terry and I were talking about it, whispering about it, we're talking about it in the back room, we're talking about it at dinner. Thank you for coming. Makes me want to cry. At one o'clock, I saw how many of you 
took your week off, told your boss to get lost. I don't know what you said. <laughs> Donna wrote, put it on her calendar weeks ago. Here they are, right? It's powerful. Because you're, you're putting forth something. You're investing something. Well, I'd like to see twice as many people next year. You got all these church growth gimmicks. The best church growth program there is, is discipleship. Reproduce yourself. Well, 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 how do I do that? Number one, you pray, Lord, give me a man. If you're a woman, you pray, Lord, give me a woman. If you don't know what you are, you don't pray. That's right, pray for deliverance. Then, then you start hanging out. You can invite them to your house. You can invite them to a, a coffee shop. But you just make sure they know who they are in Christ. We're going to talk about more of it through the week. But are you willing to give your life and reproduce once? See, I know sometimes it's messy. All my life from the time I was little, my father would take us to northern Ontario fishing. I didn't realize it. It's how we grew up. Every summer, we would take a 13-hour car ride, and we would portage our canoes into very unaccessible lakes that had never been fished. And basically, all you had to do was dangle a red daredevil, and the fish would jump into the boat. It was amazing. I thought, that's, I thought fishing was always easy. I had no clue that some people think it's hard. They just didn't go to the right places. But as, as we would go, we would always take, usually, new friends. And uh, eventually, we ended up taking whole Boy Scout troops. And we had actually a little bit of a business as outfitters. And we'd take these people up into the wild. They'd never been there before. Some of them had never fished before. And there was always two or three that found certain parts of it fun and certain parts of it messy. And one of the challenges was always one of the rules that my father made from the time I was a little boy, which was simple. You catch it, you clean it. You catch it, you clean it is a real simple rule that if you bring the fish back to camp, you're the one that has to clean the fish. And yes, all fish that you catch will be cleaned. And so you've got to get on your hands and knees, or however, and you've got to do the act. Right? Well, it's the same in the body of Christ with evangelism. You catch them, you clean them. You're going to lead them to Jesus, you're going to disciple them. You're going to sit with them and say, hey, this one came to the Lord, and I'm going to make sure he sticks. Amen? Some of them don't stick. And the reason they don't stick isn't because they're so terrible. It's not because they're so wicked. It's not because they're so carnal. It's because nobody loved them. Because they didn't have a door to knock on in the middle of the night that, where somebody would pull out a cup of coffee and say, yeah, I'll talk to you. And sit down and say, well, let's open our Bible. Turn over there in the book of John. Well, where is it? Well, let's, let's look at, in the Bible. You know, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not real hard to teach people that, is it? Oh, but when you let them know, you open up a whole world, don't you? I think we, we complicate things so much. 
Now here's what's going to happen when you start to care about someone and you start to disciple someone because you are going to disciple someone. I'm sorry, but you are. You're caught. See, I've been praying that God would send people to this conference that He wants here, and then He told me what to preach on. So if you're here, you're qualified to disciple. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm not going to disciple anybody, by the end of the week, the Lord will have convicted you and you will have changed your mind. So you might as well change your mind now and accept the responsibility that, yes, I am a discipler of men because it is the Great Commission. And Jesus said, go into all the earth, into every nation and make disciples. So Fred, down at the hardware store, is going to get discipled whether he likes it or not. Amen. And what power. Jay, what power when the church reproduces itself and multiplies and every one of them is not a problem. See, a lot of churches grow by bringing in the lost and what they do is they bring in a lot of problems. I know you hadn't thought about that because you've never pastored. But when you open the doors and you have a crusade, you get a whole bunch of demon-possessed people, you get a whole bunch of addicts, you get a whole bunch of perverts, you get a whole bunch of problems, and you're wanting to clean them all up. But then the church is full of problems. But when you multiply because of discipleship, you got people out there who've caught them and cleaned them. And when they got a problem, they don't usually bug the pastor. They go to their friend with a cup of coffee and say, Did you hear what Sidney said Sunday? What do you think he said Sunday? Well, let's look in the Word of God. I'm not quite sure. It challenged me too. But, but maybe he's right. I mean, he is the pastor. See, and then the, the, the two of them there sitting there having coffee find out, oh, look there. Well, well he was right. Look at what the words. Oh, let's go over here and look. And there's here, here's another verse. Oh, my. Oh, yeah, and that reminds me of a sermon I heard one time about that. And then these two fix their problem, and Sid doesn't have to deal with the problem. But in a typical church, he does. Then he doesn't have any time to prepare himself to preach the word of God that will transform you in the first place. Amen. Discipleship. Think about Jesus' ministry. He shows up and he knows at some point fully well that he's going to the cross. By the way, I have a personal opinion as to why he prayed all night. I'm pretty sure he knew who he was going to choose. But he also knew he was going to ask 12 men to come and die. That's not easy to do. So he prayed all night. Then he said, Want to come with me? And they did, didn't they? Every one of them. Now, Think, though, about what he did. Here's, here's the Son of God with the hope of humanity in his life. And he's going to die on the cross for our sins. And he, and he takes this gospel, this good news, and he entrusts it to 12 men. Actually, to 11. Right? Now, I don't know if you never thought about this but they wrote books back then. You know, we got, we got books. You ever read 
uh, Homer's Odyssey or the Iliad. It's like almost a thousand years before Jesus. They wrote books. They, they had letters. How come Jesus didn't write a biography? You know, he could have. Wouldn't that have made it easier? I think if he'd have given me even a six-tape series, I'd have learned Hebrew to listen to it. He didn't write any book. He didn't so much as leave an outline. Because he wrote the gospel in the hearts of 12 men. See, if he'd have, if he'd have left a book, we'd have really screwed it up. But heart to heart, it's, it's, it's not so easy to mess up, right? He made a decision. He, at some point, he made a decision that his method would be men and not books. That he was going to pour himself into these 12, and that's what he was going to trust. He had a prayer before he died. It's called the High Priestly Prayer, John 17. Go read it again one day. It's going to be interesting because if you read it, one of the things you won't find is, Lord, I'm coming and uh, please give all these guys power. Please make sure this gospel gets spread. He doesn't talk about power at all, but you know what? He prays for his 12 men 43 times in that one chapter. 43 times. Why? Because the fate of the gospel was in their hands. And we've forgotten that, haven't we? See, I believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and I know that's what transformed Peter. And I know that's what gave him boldness to stand in front of the Sanhedrin. And I know, and Bill, hey, Bill and I, we've talked about this. I wish there'd have been an older man to mentor. But there were some lonely years. But dear Lord, other people don't have to be that lonely, do they? Amen. Now for me, I had... Are you getting anything out of this? I'm not boring you, am I? Too bad if I am. But anyhow, I know we just got a few more minutes. Um, Jesus selected these 12. Let me tell you right now. You can't. Did you know you're not Jesus? There's all these different groups of 12 and you know, that's a Bible study. That's not discipleship. Because you're not Jesus. And number one, you're not full time at it. And they aren't going to quit their job. Now, if you can get 12 men to quit their job and you're going to quit your job and you're going to live 24 seven with them, maybe you could, but I doubt it because you're still not Jesus. So don't you go trying to disciple 12 people. Somebody said, well, how many people should I disciple? Start with one. Because that's going to be enough. It'll be challenged enough. But once you disciple one, here's the principle that Rex shared with me. He said, if we do this for a year, and you, you know, my goal is to help you become established. And he said this from the very first meeting. We're only going to do this if you agree that when we're done, you're going to disciple somebody. See, that meant the second year there'd be two of us. Or, which actually would be four. So in, in two years, we got four. In three years, you got eight. In four years, you got 16. 
right? And then 32 and 64, right? 128 and 256 and 1,024 or 512, then 1,024 and on and on, right? Did you know if you just follow that mathematical principle a year at a time, you'll reach the whole world in one generation? We still haven't done it. Somewhere it breaks down. Somewhere it just simply breaks down that people say, no, I'm just not going to care anymore. I'm not going to disciple anymore. That's why I said it's so hard. Yeah, you are going to disciple. Why? Because you're born to reproduce. See, a lot of times I believe people don't disciple others because they don't believe that what they have has really got any value. But you're so valuable. You're so valuable. See, you do have friends. There's people that like you for who you are. There's people that like me for who I am. There's people that don't like me for who I am. Well, I'm not going to disciple them. There's people you fit in with in that crowd. I want to inspire you in this. But I also want to burden you with the, with the commandment. It is a great commandment. Somebody says, well, I, I don't know if I'm called to a missionary to go into all the world. No, you're called to make disciples. Amen. I'm so glad. Rex Phillips discipled me. He taught me to, how to pray when I sinned and to get forgiveness. He taught me how to have a daily quiet time, and I've had one for 40-some years ever since. He taught me how to read through the whole Bible. He taught me how to memorize Scripture, and I started memorizing Scripture to this day. Scriptures I memorized 40-some years ago are still powerful in my heart. Thank you, Rex. And, and it wasn't a whole lot. In fact, it was only about six months. I don't even think it might have even been less than that, four months maybe. And I, and I got filled with the Holy Ghost through some supernatural experiences. And I was so excited to go back and share it with Rex. I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I speak in tongues. Isn't that great? He took me out on his porch and he said, I feel like I've created a monster. That's what he said. See, he didn't understand. I had, I had to make a value choice. I love that man. I still love that man. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. But I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Holy Ghost either. See, you can never overestimate the Holy Ghost. But don't underestimate discipleship. Because he put a foundation in me. It's still in me. It's still in me. And I want to give it to others. I've been born to reproduce. How about you? Well, you know, we made up later. We did. I took him out to lunch one time. and We, we made up. And I told him, you got a lot of grandkids running around. He got a big smile on his face. I've thanked him every time I've seen him. I want to go see him again. Thank you, Rex. You invested those months in my life. See, you can do that. You can do that. See, if you, if you get a hold of this, we don't need a follow-up program. I, I know we need programs because we're stupid people, but <laughs> I mean that guy. He, he, Jesus talked about him. He, he walks. He walks down and he sees the guy in the ditch. Well, he walk, one of them walks on the other side, right? The other one just ignores him, but one of them gets down in the ditch. He didn't get down in the ditch and say, "Hey, buddy, we got a program at church. We have a down in the ditch ministry." And I think if, if I help you, introduce you to the down in the ditch ministry, there's probably somebody there to help you. No, he said, he didn't call his pastor. 
You know, you don't need your pastor to help you to minister to somebody at the, at the, at the Walmart. Right? No, you just need the boldness to say, what I got in my pocket, I'll share it with you. Let's go, let's go sit and read the Bible. Disciple. Disciple. Is there anybody in here? I'm going to just be really honest. I'm, well, you always say that like, aren't you always going to be always honest? <laughs> Let me be frank with you. Now, he's frank. I'm not frank. I'm going to be Dale with you. Do you ever do that? Let me be frank with you. No, anyhow. I'm just preaching as long as I can because I know Alex is jet lagged and I want to see him fall over. (laughs) Here it is. Is there anybody in here? Maybe you're saying you don't know how and you might be a little bit nervous about it. But is there anybody in here that can say honestly to me, I would like God to use me to disciple someone. Would you just raise your hand? Raise it up in front of God, not me. See, look around now, especially pastors. Look around. God wants to use you to disciple people. Amen. See, now I got you on record. The Lord took a picture of you raising your hand. See, that's multiplication. Now, here's the point. If you do it as family, I'm going to close with one scripture. Turn to Timothy. I believe I know why it fails, or one of the reasons it fails. Let's look over here to 2 Timothy. You see, life will help you look at things differently as you mature. When you got married, you looked at things differently, right? Right? Levi, when you had your baby, you started looking at things differently, didn't you? Yeah. And I'm telling you right now, there's something really cool about being a grandfather. I love it. I don't think, I think I stole this from Bill. I don't think you should be allowed to be president of the United States if you're not a grandfather. Because it's a whole new world. You look at things completely different. Here in 2 Timothy verse 1 Thou therefore, my son, Paul is talking to Timothy, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus and the things you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Now, in the normal model of discipleship that I just explained to you, it is two becomes four So two becomes four becomes eight. Two becomes four becomes eight. But that's not Paul's model. Paul's model, come here, Kevin. This is is Timothy. I'm Paul. This is the typical model. Two, and then he turns, and he disciples, and I disciple, and then it's four. That's not Paul's model. Paul said, Timothy, you teach what I'm teaching you to a faithful man. Come here, faithful man. So now we got three, but we're not done yet. Because I'm going to teach you, Timothy, and you're going to teach a faithful man who is able to teach 
others. So now, this is something I just saw last week, and I'm thinking about writing a book on it. Because <laughs> I've never heard anybody talk about this. Almost every discipleship teaching I've ever heard is based on a binary organizational model, which means disciple two, then four, then eight. But that's not what Paul said, is it? Paul said, I'm going to teach you, and guess what? As he teaches this guy, I'm a granddad. I ain't going to divorce him. I ain't going to stop seeing him. I'm not going to kick him out of the church. Right? Paul and Timothy kept their relationship, right? So what happened now? Now he can put his hand on this guy. Who can put his hand on this guy? And now I'm a great grandpa. I ain't even got there yet. But if being a grandfather is a new perspective, being a great grandfather is going to be really cool. Mm, amen. That's good. Now in that, thank you. You guys helped me a lot. I couldn't have done it without you. Now we got four. It's not a binary model that's two and four and eight. Help me out because you're a mathematician. Well, so is Neil. It's not binary. It's not two, four, and eight. It's, it's, it's what is that? Four. Quad? What's the word? It's what? It's logarithmic. Well, all I know is it's 4, 8, 16, 32. It's exponential. But not only is it that exponential, you've got the safety of generations. And you've got the challenge of youth. See, that's why I love hanging around Sid. I don't know if he knows this or not. Is I got the crotchety old man down really good. And there's some things I know. And not only that, I know I know him, but he's got the zeal of youth. That's why I like to hang around new believers. Because you, you ever get stale as a believer? Just hang around somebody that just got born again last night. And you'll remember stuff, right? So in the beauty of that is you've got the wisdom from your elders, but you've got the zeal and the relevance and the understanding of the generation. And, 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 and maybe they got tattoos and perforations all through their noses and their ears. And grandpa looks at them and says, what's going on? And they say, you know, take a chill pill, grandpa. It, it's, it's not so bad. Come on. And you're able to keep this gospel going from one generation to the next. Amen. Because whether we like to admit it or not, young people have a lot to teach us. Stand up on your feet. I keep going. I, I'll preach all night on this. We need... Now what I intend to do is you listen in the daytimes. What you're going to get from these three men is essential to understand what I'm going to preach on. Because it it's the undergirding of everything I'm going to say. And I'm going to get as practical, I mean nuts and bolts, practical as I can. Because you are going to disciple somebody. And you're going to know how. And by Friday, we're going to pray for you and, and, you, and, and set you loose. Whoo! Glory to God. Now let's just lift our hands. Thank you, Lord, for tonight. <laughs> oh, thank you for the Middle East. I give you a praise for what you're going to do there. 
give you praise for the anointing on the Mirabella family. Thank you, Lord. I give you praise for everyone tonight, Lord, that raised their hand, that they're going to disciple somebody. Lord, I ask you even right now that you begin to prepare uh, in their spirit that they'll, they'll begin to consider who that might be. Lord, that they'll not immediately jump on it out of, out, out of a false premise and be too premature, but that they'll take the time and weigh the time before you in your presence so that they choose the right person. But Lord, there is a right person. And there is someone who needs to be discipled. And we just receive that now in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Praise God. Well, we kick this week off. Glory to God. Amen. Listen, we'll see you tomorrow at 1 p.m. Bring your, bring your ears and your hearts. Be ready. Terry and I love you. We'll see you. Drive prayerfully. So let me introduce the, the landmark. A landmark by definition is a firmly fixed object by which you can orient yourself. You go through life, every once in a while you get lost. It sure is good to see that tree you recognize or, or that, that mountain over there. You know where you are. This landmark can be that for you. Find your place in, in the kingdom of God. It's also a high point over a period of time. And I think that's important because we're putting 2020 to bed forever. Hallelujah. And all the remnants of it. Amen. Amen. And uh, I believe we're moving into something new. Now it may not be any better than what was before, but we're different. Amen. You do remember the David principle, right? You get to kill the, the bear and you think you're, you got it made until the lion comes along. So then you get to kill the lion, and you're, and you're really the hero now, right? And you have no clue. So yeah, there might be some trouble ahead, but we're giant killers in this house. Amen? So the, the landmark can be that in your life, and we're believing for that. I wrote a few things out here. We believe every generation has a unique call from God. I was uh, 19 when Bob Hawk and I went back to my house. My mom had a satellite TV. Satellite dish was this, probably 12 feet, 14 feet. 10? It was huge. I mean, it'd cook your turkey. And uh, it could. And there was a guy on there I'd never seen before. The first time I saw him, I was 19. His name was Lester Summerall. Bob and I saw him the, for the first time together, and we, we fell in love with this guy. And you know what I was telling Bob? I figured it out the other day on a piece of paper. When I was 19, Lester Summerall was 57. I'm 57. And I'm thinking, that means teenagers think I'm old. You are. So, I see who's standing and who's sitting. I see. <laughs> but that old man imparted his spirit into my generation. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to impart it into the next. And that's a part of what the theme of this conference is. It'll take 40 years to do it. 
but we can sure kick it off and get it down the road a little ways. Amen? And I'm excited about that. So I believe the messages will impart strength and wisdom that we have found through decades of ministry into the heart of a new generation. That's it right there. That's where I'm putting my faith and believe in God. Now, I know and you know, uh, we could have different speakers. Uh, I thought about different guest speakers. It's not without, I've got the means to get some hot stuff in here. But, but no, it's not that, honey. Uh, but I don't want a stranger talking to my family. When it's family time, who you want to hear from? Mom and dad, right? I don't want to hear some famous rock star or, or whatever. I want mom and dad to speak into my life. With all the, the warts and all the uglies and all the funny things and you know what I'm saying? But it's family, and that's what I really have such a heart that Armada's family. Amen? And it excites me to see you talking to one another, fellowshipping with one another, getting to know one another. It's family time. Amen? Well, one of the, one of the principles of family time, I believe, is we ought to be able to worship unrestrained. We ain't impressing nobody. We don't have to. What, what, what can we do then? We can worship Jesus. Amen. Anybody want to worship Jesus? Let's worship Him, John. Amen. blessed to have so many of our friends and all of you are friends I mean everybody's here is a friend right but special guests that's what the word I'm looking for right here on the front row we got uh, I'm trying to think we met 2001 spring 2001 oh we did it was before that because in Branson it would have been 2000 yeah you were you you came and Jeff and I had that room and, and you didn't have a room. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so we stayed, st- stayed up all night long with a blackboard or a whiteboard strategizing what we're doing right now. We were prophetic. I'm telling you. Glory to God. And then we drugged Donnie in there somewhere. Hallelujah. I knew he was a man of faith. He could marry someone pretty like that. You've got to have faith, right? You know? Well, then I helped you put furniture together. That's right. You, you helped put our furniture together in, in Moscow. Yeah, Ikea, it took two people to assemble it, and so God sent you. Hallelujah. Well, stand up and turn around and say hi. Praise the Lord. This is Donna and Neil Bratchen. They're they're living in uh, Tulsa now, in Mecca. Of course, they lived in Lancaster for a year and a half, 13 months. Okay. And you know how to say Lancaster. That's right. Missionaries. Praise the Lord. But I heard we had some folks from Colorado. Anybody here from Colorado? Look at, stand up. Come on, everybody. Stand up. You, <clears throat> give them a welcome. Thank you, Lord. Look at that. Hallelujah. Woo, thank you for coming. What a blessing. 
I mean, we better, we better greet them now because it won't be too long. Their church will be bigger than this one. And then we're going to have to have meetings out there, I guess, and we'll have to fly out there. That's some motivation for them to get busy. Amen. I enjoyed my time out there. Glory to God. And the Lord had me. You know, when you're there at the right time and you leave the right time. I mean, uh, he got his driver's license and I got on the airplane got out of there. <laughs> Isn't the Lord good? And we have the Mirabellas who are missionaries. Good. Couple of their children with them. They have four children. They've got two with them. Oh, stand up at least. Don't be shy. God bless them, Steve and Jonah. Oh, three kids. Three kids are with them. Praise the Lord. What a blessing. And then uh, where's where'd Alex go to hiding? Indisposed. Oh, he's indisposed. <clears throat> That's convenient. Yeah, he's probably jet-lagged. He fall, probably fell asleep. It's like 3 in the morning right now. Well, it's probably worse than that. There he is, hiding in the back. Alex, we're introducing you. Slava Dies. Hallelujah. Amen. I always, yeah, <laughs> I always butcher the Russian language when he's with me just to make fun of him because he's my translator. He's my voice over there. You know, I just go blah, 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 and he makes it good. <laughs> and uh, very thankful for you, Alex. Eight years ago, supernaturally, the, God, the Lord put us together uh, through Steve Weber, the head of CBN in uh, Kiev. I'd asked Steve, I said, I need a, a, a good translator and personal assistant, but I, I can't, he's got to be top, top notch. And uh, he said, well, I know a fella. I'll send you his email and his phone number. Then I flew back to the U.S. And I was literally going through the Chicago airport. And you know how you're changing planes. I checked my mail. And the mail came up. And Steve said, here's this guy. You should talk to him. And I had to board a plane. And the Lord said, call him. And I thought, okay, when I get to, I think I was going to Tulsa. Uh, I'll call him when I get to Tulsa. And the Lord said, no, you're not getting on the plane until you call him. And so I called him right there in front of the gate. And uh, he was loading his family into a car in Crimea to run away from his home that had been invaded by the Russians. And uh, my spirit leapt. So we talked for a short period of time. I said, I'll meet you in Kiev. I haven't been able to get rid of him since. <laughs> he pastored for 20 years, 21 years? 25 years in Crimea, started when he was 16, right? Yeah, I know somebody else started at 16. The jury's still out on him, but anyhow. He is a friend of Alex Turney's, that's right. So he might make it. So we're, we're blessed there. Who else we got as special guests? Yeah, I guess we're all special. Anybody? I don't want to miss anybody. Sid, is there anybody I'm missing? Sid's a special guest. Praise the Lord. I don't know why he's sitting way back there. Jesus said, sit in the back. I want to thank uh, Church of the Word Lancaster 
for hosting us and putting up with us and feeding us. And what a blessing. Amen? Amen. Amen. And, uh, oh, I know there's one more I want to thank. Where's Shane hiding? There he is right there. Shane and Katie were missionaries to Moscow. Well, Nyabrsk first, and uh, then, then Moscow, and uh, now they're working in York. Shane is leading the Bible, or children's school to grade what are you up to now? Seventh grade now. Praise God. Amen. Well, Shane takes care of our communications, and uh, Bill so graciously allows us to tap him because he's pretty well got a full plate so we appreciate all the work you do for the landmark, Shane. Thank you so much. Amen. Glory to God. And uh, there's Miss Betty back there. <clears throat> it's Debbie. Yeah. Debbie Betty. She'll answer to anything. I'm glad I th you didn't bring the bullhorn to the front row, so that's good. Amen. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to do this a little different because I, I got a word from the Lord, an instruction from the Lord in the prayer room tonight. I wasn't expecting it. So what we're going to do is dismiss the children right now before the offering. So up to eight, uh, grade five, up to grade five can go to their uh, ministry assignments and let's, let's uh, thank God for them and Give the kids a hand. And the teachers. Thank God. I grew up in a children's church. And uh, amen. Thank God people put the word into you. Amen. amen. 